It's a Northwest Lifestyle Weekend on Como News. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert, so drop it into gear. It's a green flag. Here's Nick. Welcome to this week's show. I am Nick Miles. In the studio with us is Ryan and Jen. We're going to talk about cars for the next two hours, so uh, settle down. Put your wrenches away and just sit there in the garage looking at your beautiful transportation beast because we have plenty of good stuff on this week's show. Uh, recently, we talked about the fact we were on the Family Haulers event, which was held in Nashville. We drove into Kentucky to Bowling Green, where the racetrack is, and we raced these vehicles around the track. We uh, we drove them about 200 miles. It was an amazing event where we got to drive some AMG Mercedes vehicles. Now, here's the cool thing about Mercedes and AMG vehicles is they take a regular Mercedes vehicle like a GLC or a GLC Coupe, which is sort of based on the C-Class. It's a common compact uh, car, then it becomes a compact SUV, then it becomes a performance version of it. So they're putting huge engines in these vehicles. The question is, Americans uh, who love cars are not so excited about SUVs on the whole until you give it 500 horsepower or 600 horsepower. Or seven. Or, or seven. There it. Yeah, there's a 707. That mm-hmm. the, the, the Jeep Trackhawk is a 707, which is based on the Jeep Wrangler, based on the Grand Cherokee. But there's the supposedly Durango a... SRT. The Durango has an SRT version, which is 500 horsepower, 495, I think, 485, 495. The question is, will they do? Will they put the Trackhawk, or will they put the, the Hellcat engine in everything over at FCA? Because I would. <laughs> I would personally... Uh, there's a there's also uh, rumblings that they will have a new Challenger by the way this year. Mm. Um, so not a new body, but a new version of the Challenger. We've had the Demon, we've had the Hellcat, we've had the Hellcat Wide Body, we've had the Scat Pack. Blah, 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 blah. There is uh, one is there for 14? everybody. Fourteen? How many is there? Eight, I think it was eighteen, wasn't it? There are so many. There's a lot of, of flavors, a lot of flavors of Challenger available in the United States. Anyway, the Grand Cherokee has 707 horsepower in the Trackhawk version. So Americans love power in their family haulers, whether it be an SUV or a wagon. Look at, look at Jaguar; they have that uh, XF Sport. Break. There's an S version. That's a performance vehicle. Uh, cost around $64,000. People want to have a family hauler, but performance version. But there's a downside to these things. Usually, is racing it around the track is not a great thing because, I mean, Mercedes, you can do it in the wagons, no problem. But the higher you get off the road, the more unstable the vehicle becomes in corners. So that starts to be a bit of a problem. Uh, that's why a lot of the police departments now who went to SUVs are going back to sedans because they're not able to do traffic pursuits as well in the SUVs as they were in the stands. If you can make them wider so the center of gravity is a lot lower. Uh, in, in the UK, they're using a lot of Subarus for pursuing vehicles because they have the boxer engine which makes the center of gravity fairly low. So you can uh, steer around corners at speed and still keep the car very level. Again, are we just inviting problems having having SUVs which have 707 horsepower? No? Jen, how was your ride in the Trackhawk? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it would have been fine if I was driving, but Ryan decided to hit launch mode, and I had no idea what was going on. I gave her no warning. I'm just no, like, oh, we're stopping at this stop sign. Launch control. Yeah. It's it'd be brutal. Fine. It'd be, like I said, it'd be fine for, I don't think it would be great for a family 
to be honest with you. What? I took Megan Riston, Mommy Travels, and her three kids for around a ride a track. in the Trackhawk. No, okay, in the Trackhawk. Um, and they were, Megan was showing me pictures of cows that she was in the back seat because she wanted Noah, her 16-year-old, to sit in the front seat with me and enjoy it. She was showing me pictures of cows. She's like, oh, look at this cow. I really like it. And I hit that, and she's like, <laughs> so like a turkey. <laughs> kind of did. She gets thrown back in the seat. Uh, she Poor had, Megan. She had an awesome time. But uh, but anyways, I'm just saying it's it's good for the track. But I took Paul Robbins, who is the anchor. I think I mentioned this before. Is the anchor at Fox 40 in Sacramento? Him and May. Uh, we sat together in the vehicle, and I did launch control. And he, his words are, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" Oh my God! <laughs> my, mine, mine, I can't say on the radio. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's FCC non-compliant. It was holy. Okay, we need to come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up, we've got a packed show for you. Stand by, more to come. More our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up on Como News. Start your engines, and they're off. Back to our auto expert, Nick Miles. This is Como News. Welcome back to the show. I've always uh, really liked Infinity Cars. And one of the reasons is it's a premium vehicle that encompasses about 70% of all the electronic safety equipment that we have in modern cars today came from the Nissan Infinity lineup, including things like surround view, parking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the Q50 is definitely one of my favorites. The G vehicles from Infinity became the Qs. Uh, they changed the, the name, and they are a sporty drive. It also has a lot of firsts in the segment. Uh, joining us on the phone is Anand Patel to talk to us about the Q50. Uh, the 2018 is a culmination of learning for Infinity, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, hi, Nick. Uh, glad to be here with you and talking to your audience. So tell me a little bit about uh, what the Q50 brings to market. So in 2014, we launched the all-new Q50. It was the successor to the G37 uh, sedan, which we uh, love so much. Um, and since then, we've done several things. Several product actions have happened. Uh, the 26, uh, model, 2016 model year introduced uh, twin-turbo engines, a 3-liter VR30, um, which came in two flavors, a 300-horsepower output and a 400-horsepower output. We also introduced a 2-liter turbo to the lineup as an entry point. So really what you did was gave us sexy and power in uh, in one sort of single design, I would say. Uh, the sedan, food, the premium sedan in, the, in North America was something that really needed a boost, and the turbo engine did that, but it, mostly the Europeans had been using turbos, uh, and you were one of the first Japanese automakers to actually put turbos in the vehicle, and it made quite a difference to performance, didn't it? Yes, it did, yeah. The the new three liters are quite uh, amazing. They've, they're very efficient, yet uh, with the turbos, there's very little turbo lag, the technology on board is quite good. Integrated exhaust manifolds. On top of that, we have uh, the, the intercoolers, which are right on top of the engine. Very short uh, flow to cool that air charge. Very little lag. Very very efficient uh, performance. One of the things that I notice is, uh, you know, you get you talk about Infinity as many times to people, and they don't realize how cool the drive is until they actually get in the vehicle and drive it. The performance is something that you spent a lot of time getting right. Yeah, we have a, a variety of uh, not just powertrain, but even the steering systems. We offer quite a few different variants. 
Um, from a hydraulic electric power steering system in the 2-liter, we have a rack electronic power steering system in the 3-liter, 300 horsepower. And we offer that as well as a uh, dynamic uh, digital steering system, um, which is purely electronic. And it allows you to do quite a few things that other vehicles can't do, uh, customization. For example, you can tune the steering ratio and the effort uh, and the response um, based on the drive mode that you're in. And this is something that we're pretty pretty proud of that uh, other vehicles don't offer. I saw a huge change uh, in the steering when you went to the drive-by-wire from the 16 to the new model after driving it. And, and you really got it right this time. I mean, it it is dynamic. It is fast. It is easy to maneuver. And, of course, you can change how the steering feels uh, right there uh, in the car. Yes, uh, we learned a lot over the years. We took a lot of uh, lessons learned, a lot of feedback from those in the media and journalists and our customers themselves. Um, and we took it to the next step. You know, this is something very new and evolutionary uh, that we're using as a building block towards the future of autonomous drive. Um, and we feel this is one of the most intriguing uh, steering systems out there. It not only is about driving performance, but it also provides um, other benefits. It takes away some of the nasty bumps and, and steering vibrations that you get from the road that translates through the steering rack into the steering wheel. With this system, we isolate those things that you don't want to feel, but also enhance the things you do want to feel. One of the things I I noticed, which was uh, incredible about this, is the option to um, have the feedback that you want as well. So it's not like it's a numb driving, but it gives you some feelings for the road, but it doesn't give you the negative parts. That's right. Yeah. In 2018, we did enhance the what we learned was a lot of the feedback from those who drove the vehicle was that they felt a little too isolated, but um, with 2018, we enhanced that feedback uh, to the driver. So there's a lot of enhancements and improvements made um, with this new model year. I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, I, and I want to talk a little bit about the autonomy features here. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. We're talking about the Infiniti Q50 with Anand Patel, and we've got more to come. Keep listening. Nick Miles, our auto expert, is moments away on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to the show. On the phone with us, Anand Patel talking about the uh, Infiniti Q50. As a whole, Infiniti uh, have this advancement in autonomous driving. And as we get further forward in time, you are putting more and more features into the Nissan Infiniti lineup, which really make these cars um, like like you're driving in a bubble that knows what it's doing. Yeah, that's right. We've uh, had a lot of world's first technologies ever since the 2014 model year. Um, things like predictive forward collision warning, intelligent cruise control are in the vehicle. And one of the cool features that we had way back when we launched the car is active lane control. And this is a vehicle that utilizes the cameras on board the vehicle to monitor the lane markers and keep you within those lanes, uh, even if you're slightly, uh, your mind is slightly drifting. So it's a great safety tech. It's a great driver uh, aid um, and uh, works pretty well. With all the distractions that are going on with people driving every single day in their cars, uh, these systems are becoming more and more necessary, aren't they? 
Yeah, we see a lot of other co- companies now uh, offering these sort of pilot assist uh, softwares. We have as well the all-new QX50. The 2019 model year has a technology called ProPilot Assist, and it's an evolution of the active lane control that's in the Q50 and the Q60 today. Uh, the only difference there is it has a, an, an additional algorithm that keeps you well-centered within your lane. So that's one of the enhancements made on the QX50. Uh, but active lane control, we've had it for now. Uh, four or five years in the market. And, um, you know, those are the, the types of driver aids that are helping uh, customers who do get distracted or if there is any reason that they uh, they aren't following the lines in the road, that it keeps you there. Nissan's uh, 360 event, which they do every few years, the last one was in California, is when you bring uh, Nissan and Infinitiz and, and everybody together and show mm-hmm. off all the latest vehicles. And, and, and at that event, the last time, I got to sit in a Nissan product where nobody touched anything, and it crossed a four-way stop. It drove around a vehicle that was parked in the road. It braked when somebody walked out in front of it, um, and nobody was touching the pedals or the transmission or anything. So you've got the technology. Why isn't it in my car today? (laughs) That's a great question. A lot of those technologies require enhanced uh, functions of the existing hardware in the vehicle. So the radar systems, the sensors, the cameras, um, all of that is being tested and thoroughly vetted in various markets. Um, You know, first we have to go through those steps. We're actually getting there uh, in stages. So as you know, we keep you in your lane today. The next step will be to actively maneuver around traffic that's in your way. And at some point, as you mentioned, in the future, we're going to have full autonomy. And that's uh, something that I think all the industry is uh, scrambling to to get to first. Um, yeah, the technology is there. We just want to make sure it's, it's right before it gets out there. Nissan-Renault Alliance, uh, which really brings together three companies around the world, we're going to have a race division you have performance division, and you have autonomy, and you have electric. Uh, really, mm-hmm. there's very few undiscovered portions of the automotive industry which you're not working on. Right, exactly. We have uh, now uh, entered as a company into Formula E. That's going to happen this year. We have a tie with Renault uh, F1 Sport, um, where we, we leverage our engineering capabilities in conjunction with Renault's uh, powertrain and chassis development. So it's good to have that works team there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, motorsports that we're getting involved with, and I think every one of these technologies is going to change the landscape of the way the future of motorsports is uh, perceived and, and done with drivers. Anand, you're always a good day. You're always a good guy to me, <laughs> making sure that I, I get to test drive these cars. Anand Patel is from Infinity. We're talking about the Q50. You can go to Infinity's website to find out more about what vehicles are in the market and uh, test drive some of them for yourself. Anand, uh, thanks for giving up part of your weekend for us. Como News 1000 FM 97.7. Our auto expert with Nick Miles will be right back. Our auto expert continues on Como News. Here's Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. Uh, recently at the LA Auto Show, I guess recently, it was about a year ago, at the LA Auto Show, Lexus introduced a, a new version of their RX, which is their massive, big-selling uh, midsize or compact SUV, mid-size, midsize SUV, uh, and they introduced a third row, which everybody's been screaming and moaning about getting a third row, and finally it arrived, and we were pretty excited, especially the video, Ryan, right? The video of this vehicle had uh, dogs in the back. Yeah, and it's which, big and beautiful. It's big and beautiful. It's so gorgeous. It, uh, we really were excited about it, so we definitely have to talk about it now that it's arriving at dealerships or it's at dealerships. Uh, Tawan Perry is here from Lexus to talk about it. So first of all, um, explain to me why it took so long to bring me a third row in this vehicle. <laughs> well, 
Well, what what we've seen is, uh, thankfully, we've been the best-selling luxury SUV, period, since the launch of this car. So that's been nice. But we didn't want to constantly think about being number one. We have to think as if we're number two. And in order to do that, it was we had a natural progression of some of our guests moving from this vehicle yeah. to one of our other seven, eight-passenger vehicles. Right. But after a while, they wanted to – they loved this vehicle so much, they – basically commanded in some of our focus groups that we devised something because they wanted to stick with this car since they loved it so much. They just wanted something a little bit bigger. So we answered. Lexus RX owners are pretty militant, aren't they? Like, I mean, you have to use a crowbar to pry them out of there. They won't even test drive anything else. Loyalty is is one of our, uh, I guess, biggest competitive advantages, really, if I can say. Uh, Once they get into an RX, like I said, the best-selling vehicle, for some reason, we treat them well enough to where they never want to leave. And I love the things. I mean, Lexus is always breaking the boundaries. Like uh, we, uh, Jen gave me a fun fact about the LS500H has the largest heads-up display in the automotive industry at 24 inches. I mean, you guys are always uh, breaking down the boundaries. So one of the things I love that you did about the RXL was to make those rear seats uh, very simple to put up and put down. Actually, it does not get any simpler than what we've provided. And at no cost, standard equipment on this longer cabin is the power folding third row seat. So you don't have to reach over the rear tailgate or, excuse me, reach over the rear bumper, whether it's raining or there's dirt or anything else. You're not going to get yourself even dirty at the touch of a button. You have a 50-50 split to raise or to lower that third row, which really comes in handy as a convenience. I'm inherently lazy. Like, I'm lazy. If I have to pull levers and find switches and stuff, like, it's a, it's bothersome to me. So to have that, it, by the way, is the best thing ever, just to be able to touch it and watch the seats go up. I, I had it, I took it to San Francisco uh, recently, and I showed the uh, the guys at uh, Fox 2 in San Francisco how it worked, and they were really uh, excited about it because they're, they will say, like, you, you know, you go into Ikea, and you didn't actually expect to come out with this box of whatever you bought that uh, you have to put the rear seats down for, and now they just a touch of the button and slide it in, which I think is is really great. You also manage to not destroy the looks of the car so much when you put that third row in. So making it the L, it still retains its um, RX. It still retains the the sort of same shape as the other vehicle and, and the good looks. It, it does, and that's. That's one thing we've done that no one else has done. We decided not to try and shoehorn a third row into an already existing beautiful vehicle. We decided to make it even bigger in order to accommodate that third row and have the cargo space. So that that is, and keeping that look was even more of a challenge. I think we were successful in doing it. Explain to me, so so how much of it is is changed? So it's, it's really just from the C-pillar back, or is it from the B-pillar back? It is from the C-pillar back. That's exactly where that four and a quarter, 4.3 inches kind of come into play as far as sheet metal. But we've done, through engineering, we've done so much more to increase the interior space as well. Yeah, so I noticed that when I get in inside the vehicle, it was really roomy and you manage to sort of compact an awful lot in it's almost one of those optical illusion vehicles where when you get on the inside it doesn't seem from the outside that it would be that spacious but when we get back i want to talk a little bit about uh, the option of a hybrid and it's not going to cost you ten thousand dollars more plus the safety features that lexus have in their vehicles it's pretty hard for the competition to match and we're talking about the new lexus rxl the new third row version of their best-selling luxury car in america 
Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles on Como News. It's our auto expert on Como News. Here's more with Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. On the phone still with uh, Tuan Perry. He's talking about the new RXL from Lexus. He is a sales and product uh, training field manager. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the hybrid version because a lot of car companies, uh, and I think Lexus to an extent too, when hybrids first came out, it could cost you up to $10,000 more to get a hybrid in the vehicle that you really liked. And that was because, of course, technology was at a premium. A lot of this stuff was uh, very new. A lot of the new technology systems were very new. But really what happened is as time has gone on, you guys have managed to bring the price down, and that is no exception with the RXL. Thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. It was obviously in the beginning, we were the first to launch the luxury SUVs. We're part of the parent company, uh, Toyota, as far as hybrids. I'm sorry, luxury hybrid SUVs. But the beautiful part now over the past year, we've been able to kind of right size that premium from a gas version to a hybrid. So it's right at about the $1,800 mark, moving from a gas version of the RXL even to the RX hybrid longer cabin as well. And this is something different for us in that the conception or the thought process of a hybrid vehicle for most individuals immediately goes to a four-cylinder vehicle that's providing you with 50 miles per gallon. We're not quite there. Uh, On some of our vehicles, we're up to 46 miles per gallon for some of our hybrid vehicles. But on the RX hybrid, it's actually a performance hybrid. So you're getting the power of a V8 very, very fast vehicle with the fuel economy of a V6 and still coming in with 30 miles per gallon. So even if you put that to paper, you're able to make your money back very quickly with only an $1,800 increase from the gas to the hybrid. That's something people really need to understand. It's a, it's a, a great win when you come over to the hybrid side of a performance vehicle like the RX. And two, you know, when you drive them, everything that Lexus offers in a hybrid, I mean, you still get that dynamic driving feeling as well. And the vehicles whisper, whisper quiet. The majority of the time you're operating off of just an electric motor and you have the instant torque, instant power of an electric motor turning on. So you get the best, hence the name hybrid, you get the best of both worlds. You don't miss anything as far as handling or driving like you're referring to. One of the things we would be very sad to uh, not mention with Lexus is the safety systems because you guys have really plowed out some stand outstanding safety safety systems in these new cars, haven't you? Yes, we, we cannot say this enough. And I think once some of our competitors start to hear about this and they know of it as well, they will try whatever they can to respond. But we are working with one of the best competitive advantages in the marketplace. Safety, as you mentioned before, has is an ultimate premium. And when you have a radar cruise control system, a pre-collision system, a vehicle that can keep you on its own in between the lanes of the road, and at the same time, an automatic high beam system, when all of that is included in our Lexus Safety System Plus as standard equipment, on our cars and on this RX, that is where the other manufacturers are charging four, five, six, seven thousand dollars to equip their vehicles. We chose not to make that an additional cost for any of our customers. Yeah, I noticed that when I uh, when I was pricing out a, a German competitor to this, just to see where it stood, and and you could easily get up to uh, that sort of extra money with that. 
Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up, more cool stuff, including what was at this year's Drive Revolution, the electric uh, and alternative fuel event, which is uh, held in Portland, Oregon, for the Northwest Automotive Press Association. Keep your radio tuned to Como News. More Our Auto Expert is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. All right, well, you learned quite a bit there in that first segment of the show, the uh, Q50, and uh, also finding out uh, what's cool in technology as well. Uh, Coming up in the second half of the show, we're going to get a delve into an event that just happened to choose the Northwest uh, Green Vehicle of the Year. Uh, That's coming up. And also we'll talk to uh, Anton Warman. He's our crazy professor. Uh, Anton's kind of cool because he knows everything about investments and money around the world and finding out what car companies make what sort of money. He's he's got all that going on. And of course, you can follow the show 24-7 at OurAutoExpert.com. It's a great place to go if you want to catch up on car news and read some of the reviews we have some of the uh, best information about deals you can get on cars plus there's the social media that's available 24 7 all you have to do is go to uh, instagram to facebook or to the twitters and you can follow our auto expert or my personal which is nick j miles n-i-k-j-m-i-l-e-s you know become a friend on facebook send me some messages tell me what's going on in your car world we'll have more in the show coming up and of course some information about tariffs how much a car's going to be in the future. Como News. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Stay tuned. Our auto expert will be right back. It's a Northwest Lifestyle Weekend on Como News. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to this week's show, Hour 2, and a lot going on in the automotive world, especially uh, J.D. Power & Associates' initial quality award came out a couple of weeks ago. We've had a tapping the uh, award on the table here. You can hear that. I've got the awards in front of me. Uh, Analyzing it after a while, some interesting stuff that came out of it. Uh, First of all, Korea. Wow. Well done, Korea. You kind of killed it with making uh, yourself uh, top of the heap. Uh, I think they were one, two, and three, the Korean car companies, Kia, Hyundai, and Genesis. Uh, That, to me, but this report's really big. It's got almost every uh, size of car, premium SUV in the midsize market, uh, premium this, uh, this large pickup truck. There is a lot of different vehicles in here. So let's go through some of them that were kind of interesting. The Dodge Caravan, uh, which I think would not qualify because I didn't realize they still made it, but that was my uh, my stupidity. Ryan's shaking his head too. That uh, that came in uh, minivan ratings, as uh, which I think is pretty good. Uh, view minivans ratings for the 2018, and I would expect it would have come with something that's a bit newer. There's a lot of new vehicles on the on the market, like the Odyssey, etc. As well as uh, JD Powers, the Nissan, the 2018 Nissan Frontier, um, Toyota. Not a surprise to have them in this listing uh, with the Corolla for the compact car. Uh, the Nissan Maxima, which there's going to be a new Maxima just about to uh, come. I think the rumor is it's going to come at Detroit next year. So the 2019 Detroit Auto Show, they're going to have a new Maxima. But the current Maxima um, getting the large car. 
and the compact premium SUV. Now, that was won by Lincoln. And then we sort of start into the, the Koreans because they seem to take a huge amount of winnings. Uh, Sorento won its category from Kia. Um, Acura's ILX won its category, which is that uh, small premium car. I mean, it goes on and on. The winners are, are mostly... Uh, foreign car companies. I don't see a lot of American car companies. Mercedes, BMW, a Mustang, however, did win its category, which is the midsize uh, sports car rating. But again, you know, uh, when I, I've just been saying that, that not many of the Americans won. Of course, Buick is right in there as well. And Buick have actually been an overall, they, they jumped up the, the list uh, and getting a lot more awards over the last few years. Um, Buick seems to have really revolutionized their line. So this J.D. Power and Associates study, one of the things that I find that's interesting is it rates the initial quality after a very short period of owners owning their car, and it's very owner-driven. So it's not like the car companies uh, can say, you know, we, have, we do this or we do that. Owners have to be the ones that do this survey and decide how good the quality of their vehicle is, which I think is important because it's not statistics that you're getting from a third party. It's statistics you're getting from an owner. Have you guys ever had a new car and had something wrong with it? No. I mean, usually uh, own new cars don't have anything wrong with them at all, right? Right. You would hope so. Mine didn't have any But problems. But it, the, the levels are quite high. I mean, it can be up to 30% of some vehicles that have to get returned because... I mean, I've had a couple of things. I think I had a Subaru Forester where the cup holder didn't come out properly and they just fitted a new one. And sometimes, you know, in the factory, timing wasn't great. They put it in when something wasn't quite set properly and it just didn't fold out, uh, those type of things. But it's the more serious. I think they should start ranking it on the seriousness of these faults. Like, you know, if you get a serious fault coming from a factory, like, it, you know, the vehicle has starting problems, I think that's an issue. And sometimes, like you s stated, th that won't show up for a little while. You know? Right, I think this is 90 days. Is yeah. this The initial quality is over the first 90 days what people have problems with their cars with. Does it? Did well, you do you care about that? Because it's under warranty too. So is the initial quality that important from JD Power and Associates? Because to me, I'm more worried about what happens three years down the road. If I have a problem with it, I'm going to take it. You know, I'm like my mini. I'll take it back to the mini dealer and say, hey, this isn't, and they'll fix it immediately. Well, they'll fix anything immediately. Okay, and it also depends upon if they actually take care of their vehicle within the break-in period. You know, some people. See, I think break-in period is a super old thing because now um, you don't have to break in most new cars. They're, they're, I'm talking about the engine period. Yeah, but they, now the new engines you don't need to do that with. Steven had a little bit of a break-in period on his. It's car. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. Not, not something else. Now yeah. Your, yeah. If, uh, who doesn't know Steven is Jen's son? All right. Now we've totally embarrassed Jen and really confused her. Let's get on with the show. Oh, God. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles on Como News. It's our auto expert on Como News. Here's more with Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. I have been looking forward to this part of the show for uh, the whole time we've been on the air. We're going to get to talk to uh, Sarah Shelton right now. She is the uh, chairperson of an event called Drive Revolution, which was put on in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, it's all about uh, futuristic vehicles and alternative powertrains. I mean, she, she'll, she'll be able to tell us better. She also works for U.S. News and World Report. So, young lady, uh, quite a successful event that you had in Vancouver. Well, thank you. This year went really well. We were excited to make the move up to Vancouver, Washington. 
And this is always, it's one of my favorite events because I happen to be very passionate about alternatively fueled vehicles. Is that the best way to explain it or is there a better line that you use when somebody asks you what drive revolution is? You know, it's kind of best if I break it down because there is not one type of powertrain that we test in this. Um, Instead, it's a mixture of battery electric vehicles, plug-in hybrids, full hybrids, and then occasionally we've also brought in some other types of powertrains like fuel cells. So this is probably one of the most expanding portions of the world, not just uh, cars in the United States, but cars in Europe, cars in Asia are all becoming alternatively fueled as we start to try and find uh, A, ways to reduce the environmental impact of automobiles, but B, uh, when oil runs out, we have to have something else to go to, and of course oil is not an endless supply. So it's on automakers' minds. Government have supported it in some realms. Uh, They have also withdrawn from supporting it in other realms, but still a developing technology. So tell me how Drive Revolution is set up. Uh, It's a competition, and you have uh, several different categories. That's right. It's a competition. We had uh, four different categories, and then, of course, the best overall. The reason that Drive Revolution is so important is because it's a unique opportunity to really test these vehicles side by side. So it brings together automotive journalists from the Northwest region, which, as you know, is really a hot spot for this type of technology. And every journalist drives every single vehicle and then gets a chance to rate it both in the category and, and for best overall. All right. What were the categories? The categories were the uh, affordable battery electric vehicle of the year, affordable hybrid vehicle of the year, family size plug-in hybrid vehicle of the year, luxury green vehicle of the year, and then the Northwest Green Vehicle of the Year. All right, so let's go through the contenders category through category and then perhaps the winner and uh, some of of the vehicles that mm, just, you know, were a few votes short of winning. Well, I'll tell you the most contested uh, category itself was battery battery electric vehicle of the year. That was extremely close between the Chevrolet Bolt EV and the Nissan Leaf. And in the end, the the Chevrolet Bolt EV won out by, by just, I believe, one vote. Well, that I mean, that's pretty close. You you might have to just split the award there. Give give just <laughs> yes. uh, just give it a, an edge more to the Bolt. I mean, the Bolt is an incredible vehicle because it does have that extended range, right? Right, exactly. The Bolt EV has two hundred and thirty eight miles of all electric range, and in comparison, the Nissan Leaf has one hundred and fifty one, which is impressive. But I think that with the Bolt EV's extra range, you just help address a little bit more anybody who has range anxiety. They're going to feel a little bit more comfortable with the Bolt's higher range. All right. What was the next category and and who was the winner? The next category was the Northwest Affordable Hybrid Car of the Year, and that was the Chevrolet Volt this year. Now, that's interesting because that's that's a a vehicle that's been around for quite a long time. It has been, and it was up against a couple of newcomers. Uh, Ford brought two of the redesigned Fusions, the Energy, which is a plug-in hybrid, and the Fusion Hybrid, a full hybrid. And then we also were able to get the Honda Insight, which just only recently launched, and, and we were very fortunate to have it for, you know, we weren't sure if that was going to work out for scheduling. I would have looked at this list. I would have looked at this list, Sarah, and said that, that I wouldn't, I'm surprised that uh, the Vault One, because you have things in there like uh, the Insight is brand new, and also that mm-hmm. Fusion, the 2019 Fusion, that has not been seen before. No, no, it has not, and it was really exciting to have it. We also had the lead engineer come up and. Uh, have a chance to ride along with automotive journalists and answer all their questions while so, they were testing the car. So Chevy takes two awards, uh, the first two mm-hmm. categories. So what was the next category? The next category was the Northwest Family Size Plug-In Hybrid of the Year. 
And this one was a very clear winner. The Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid won this one hands down. It was uh, pretty much a landslide. At at 84 MPGE, it's a pretty incredible Mm -hmm. vehicle, right? I love that portion. Plus, you can get some cool tech on it. Stand by. We're going to take a a quick break right now. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, the luxury green vehicle and the overall winner and the future of electric vehicles in the United States and find out what you think is going to happen next. Keep your radio tuned to Como News. More Our Auto Expert is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. We have Sarah Shelton on the phone from U.S. News & World Report. She's also the chairperson of an event that uh, just happened in Vancouver, Washington, called Drive Revolution where the latest in alternative fuel technology vehicles get tested head-to-head with the Northwest Automotive Press Association, and there is some clear winners. We've talked about the first three categories, Sarah, and we're talking about the luxury green vehicle of the year. So who were the contenders, and how did this one map out? So the luxury green vehicles included the 2018 BMW i3. Uh, We had the i3S with a range extender on it. The 2018 BMW 740e, which is a plug-in hybrid. The 2018 Lexus LS500h, also a plug-in hybrid. Uh, I'm sorry, a full hybrid. And the 2018 Mercedes-Benz GLC 350e, which is a plug-in hybrid. I would so have a little a, bit of a mix in there. Yeah, I'd have a tough choice in choosing between these. I love the idea of the Rage Extender and the i3. Uh, because it's Mm -hmm. a true electric vehicle, but then it has that range extender. Um, I do like my big luxury full-size sedan, so the 740 um, as well as the 500 is really cool. But then the GLC is one of my favorite vehicles, especially the coupe and the AMG versions. But that's that's you know one of my favorite vehicles. So this was this a hard choice, or did people just fly to one or the other? You know, it, it was interesting. This was definitely one of the categories where we saw a big mix in both all across the board. And so there wasn't a clear winner right up until the very end. Um, it was especially close between the 740E and the LS500H. So which one won? In the end, it was the Lexus. Really? Um, you know, the Lexus is a, a great vehicle because it shows that not all hybrid powertrains have to be found inside a modest sedan or a hatchback. And Lexus did a great job with putting together an interior that really coddles you, and at the same time, you're getting exceptional city fuel economy. One of the things I love about Lexus that they do with their vehicles, and especially the LS, is that evasive steering as well, which I think is, uh, you probably didn't get a chance to test it, but the vehicle will actually steer out of the way if you... uh, if you're going to hit something, it'll steer for you. So we tested this in actually California. Um, it's what are you shaking your head, Ryan? It was so they make you actually drive at a human-shaped <laughs> dummy, and it takes you once. Or Nick's already apparently driven at people before, but I hadn't done it. <laughs> so it took it took my muscle control twice. The first time I completely veered out of the way because your body's just used to veering out of the way. But the second time I was going to hit him. And the car perfectly veered out of the way. Yeah, the thing I like about it is it looks for gaps where you can drive where there's nothing. So, uh, you know, if you're coming, imagine if you're coming into an intersection and there's a car in front of you and you hadn't noticed it and you're going too fast, you're going to hit it even with the emergency braking system kick in and it sees a gap on the left-hand side that's open with no traffic coming into that gap. It'll steer you into that gap. And it's only a couple inches, actually. It's just, you don't think about it. It's not like moving the car huge amounts of distances it'll move you a couple of inches across so you miss the person and then use the emergency braking and come to a stop which is only usually like a foot or so beyond where you're expecting to stop so that's one of the cool things i love about that 
then plus you get a hybrid version of it. Um, right. what, what did you think of the drive of the vehicle overall? Did you think that it was uh, it wasn't expecting you weren't expecting such a luxurious drive? Because that's the other thing I noticed about it. You know, the the LS is all about refinement, both in, inside and out. And um, and if, you, if nobody told you you were driving a hybrid, I don't think you'd ever guess. Yeah, that's the cool thing about the new ones. Plus, they make the price very uh, attainable too. They don't make them like ten, fifteen thousand dollars more than the regular gas version. Five. Right. Yeah, it's right. like five thousand more. There, there's hardly anything when you think about the sort of money you're paying for on these vehicles. All right, excellent. Coming up, Anton Warman, the crazy professor who is a specialist at investment and analyzing what goes on in the electric car world that's next on our auto expert como news there's more to come with nick miles stay tuned our auto expert will be right back como news time to set it on cruise control this is our auto expert here's nick miles Welcome back to the show. Every week he joins us with an insight into what's happening in Politico, also in EVs, and especially with what's happening on the business side of the automotive industry. Anton Wallman with us. He is an independent investor and analyst. You can read many of his stories at SeekingAlpha.com. Anton, the current president of the United States has been dicing with uh, tariffs, has been threatening to impose them, has been talking about the lack of American uh, dominance in the market and trying to restore factories and jobs. But is it all a whirlwind of hot air or is there any truth to it? Well, there are end goals and there are tactics. So the backdrop to what's going on is that the United States currently imposes a two and a half percent tariff on automobiles imported from Europe as well as from uh, Asia, notably uh, China, for example. And China, in turn, imposes a 25% tariff on cars exported from the U.S., and Europe imposes a 10% tariff on cars exported from the United States to Europe. So the stated goal of the current U.S. administration is to bring down the Chinese and the European tariffs to a number that is no higher than the current U.S. 2.5 percentage point rate. So the question is, how do they go about doing this? And they've taken the approach that we should threaten them with even higher tariffs so that if Europe is at 10% and China is at 25%, we should basically hit up the Europeans with uh, 20% and the Chinese with uh, up to, say, 50%. And that that threat would then get the Chinese and the Europeans to back down and to take their numbers down to 2.5%. Now, the Association of German Auto Manufacturers have now proposed to the German government that basically we all go to zero. And the U.S. simply hasn't responded to that yet. So when the U.S. eventually gets around to responding to that proposal, as it were, if you can call it a proposal, it isn't really a formal German proposal yet, as much as it is a proposal by the automakers in Germany to the German government. But if the U.S. were to respond to that and say, thank you, we accept, I think that would be the lucky end goal of this. We could only be so lucky if that were to come to that. And, of course, we are not at that point yet. Now, this doesn't seem, when you put it that bad, I mean, going to zero, the biggest reason I can see the U.S. government not wanting to respond to that is quite clearly that they would lose a bunch of money that they currently receive from that 25 or that 
that very small percentage. That's cash in hand for them because uh, it goes to help the general income of the U.S. government. They would lose that money, but what else would prevent us from going to zero across the board? Now, in the terms of uh, the U.S., there is a little quirk, which really isn't a big deal, which I will explain in a moment, but that is that we have been speaking specifically here about cars, cars being defined here as non So if you look at pickup trucks, we've had a very particular tariff in place in the United States that started in 1964 by Lyndon Baines Johnson, who imposed the so-called chicken tax. Well, why is it called a chicken tax? Well, starting in 1961, the Europeans imposed a special tax on U.S. chickens exported to Europe. And in response to that, it was said at the time, the U.S. responded by imposing a tax on German pickup trucks, notably the Volkswagen uh, Type 2 pickup trucks. Now, back to what's uh, going on here at present day and how this fits in. Uh, The Europeans are clearly claiming that in order to go to 0% tariffs, we would have to also come down on the so-called chicken tax, coming down to 0% on pickup trucks. This would actually not be so difficult in terms of the market realities in the U.S. right now, because all of the large pickup trucks that are sold in the United States are, in fact, made in North America, Uh, whether it's Ford, GM, FCA, Toyota, or Nissan. They're all made in North America. So if the U.S. were to then accept going to a 0% tariffs on large pickup trucks, it really wouldn't matter for the U.S. situation here. When we come back, I want to talk, Anton, a little bit about what the downside effects might be if we started to tax vehicles higher coming in from uh, Germany and China and how that would affect, affect the U.S. industries. More Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up on Como News. Charge your engines, and they're off. Back to our auto expert, Nick Miles. This is Como News. Still on the phone with Anton Warman. He is our independent investor and analyst. You can read his material at SeekingAlpha.com. Anton, those people who are savvy in the industry may say that the president has actually reached his limit of the sort of things he can say and do because the potential for backfiring for some of these policies now seems to be much higher. The downside to the United States if he increases tariffs on incoming Chinese and German vehicles would be what? Well, the downside if basically we end up in a uh, so-called trade war where everybody raises tariffs and there is no uh, sort of peace where everybody goes to the end goal here, which is to actually reduce tariffs, would be horrible for all parties involved. It would increase the prices of vehicles sold. It would reduce the profits for all automakers. It would reduce the volumes of vehicles sold. It would lead to layoffs. It would lead to arguably an entire recession of all the economies involved from the U.S. to China to Europe. The the negative impact, if if basically neither side blinks and stands down on this, are really, really remarkable and very, very bad. So this is where the tactics that have been employed by the current administration in the U.S. are very, very perilous, because if basically neither side backs down here, we're, we're talking about the economic equivalent of uh, sort of the Cuba crisis in October of 62. Someone has to back down and say, look, we're, we're going to have to agree on a compromise here. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, the result could be devastating for the automotive industry. And at that point, we will start to see car prices just go through the roof? Absolutely. It's not like the automakers aren't facing another set of crises on their hands in terms of additional costs 
imposed by increased environmental regulations and increased safety requirements and everything else that are increasing the prices on cars sold and threatening by themselves to reduce volume sold because, of course, if prices go up, people can't buy as many new cars. But this would just add a lot of fuel to that fire, adding a lot of insult to injury, pouring salt in an open wound. So at all costs, really, uh, all parties involved really need to sit around around the table here and say, look, are, do we really want to go to increased tariffs or do we want to get to a goal which very sanely the German automakers have proposed that we simply, everybody goes to zero. We just scrap all automotive tariffs, period, end of story, no exceptions. That is the one end goal that, you know, hopefully when everybody actually sits around around the campfire here in the coming weeks can agree upon. And if they don't, um, there is always the danger that this will uh, spiral into a very, very dark age. So perhaps if you were thinking about buying a new car at the end of this year or the beginning of next, it might be an idea to go out and get it this summer, maybe uh, when the discounts happen at the end of the summer. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that that is absolutely the danger here is that if nobody stands down on this thing, then uh, uh, prices eventually will have to go up because in the very short term, Automakers have said, Daimler has said so explicitly in uh, their uh, profit warning just a few short days ago, uh, that they will not pass on, at least initially, these cost increases. It will simply reduce their profits. But that can't go on forever. It can't go on for very long, maybe for a few months while the parties negotiate, because you don't want to just increase prices temporarily for even as little as a few weeks or a couple of months and then bring them back down again. I mean, it gets everybody confused. The consumer doesn't know or understand all of these twists and turns. Anton Warman is our independent investor and analyst. I still think this has a long way to go to play itself out. But if you're thinking about buying a new car, it might be a reason to go and get it sooner rather than later because the chances of price increase are very real and very possible. Uh, You can read Anton's stuff at SeekingAlpha.com. It's always entertaining to have you on the show, Anton. We'll see you again next time. Keep listening. Nick Miles, our auto expert, is moments away on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Como News 1000 FM 97.7. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Of course, we have entertained you because I know I was entertained as well. We've entertained you and informed you. Jen, what do we do uh, if we can't have the show until next week? What do we do? Where do we go to get more Our Auto Expert Entertainment? Oh, sorry. You can go to Podbean and you can listen to our show. Right. It's on Podbean. It's on where else? Instagram. Instagram. What Twitter. Else? Yeah. Where else? Facebook. Yeah. OurAutoExpert.com. Mm-hmm. It's not like you don't work there, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, all of those great posts that you read on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, they're, they're, Jen does those all. She's our posting queen. Posting queen. <laughs> There's a song there somewhere. Uh, and you can, of course, keep in touch with the automotive industry 24-7 there our auto expert also has great reviews on vehicles and you can watch some of our tv segments if you want to see what we do when we cover cars on the television youtube oh yeah we have a youtube (laughs) channel too thank you so much for listening (laughs) oh my gosh uh ryan the happiest person on the uh our auto expert team thank you Uh, (laughs) yeah i've seen your video (laughs) well here's the deal Uh, you can watch youtube by going to ourautoexpert.com see see how that all ties together Stay connected. Stay informed. This is Como News.